The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, it's time now to open up God's Word. If you haven't already, uh, let's open up together to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, we'll get chapters 9 and 10. If you need a copy of God's Word, there's one there around you in the pew rack, a blue Bible. Turn with me. It's on page 558. Uh, we are nearing the conclusion of our studies in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, these last three chapters, 10, 11, 12, are, are, are largely positive, largely encouraging, which is in many ways uh, a welcomed reprieve from the, some of the, the darkness of the clouds that the preacher in Ecclesiastes has been casting out. But the reason why he has been doing that is because he is saying, you and I live in a fallen world, and if we view life as only under the sun, through a secular lens without God, then life will be bleak and dark and meaningless and lacking purpose and empty and devoid of true value, Ecclesiastes says. And so in that way, Ecclesiastes very much reigns on our parades uh, if our parades are merely lives of secular pursuits without God. All the while saying that if you want to have meaning in life, if you want to have significance and purpose and value, if you want your life to count, if you want your life to have deep and abiding significance, you need to view your life as under heaven, before the sight of God, believing in and trusting a sovereign God of the universe who orders all things according to his purpose, including the details of your life. If you want your life to count, you need to believe in the Lord. Well... This morning, as we finish up chapter 9 and go into all of chapter 10, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is saying, what is a characteristic of that life that counts, a life that matters, a life that has deep and abiding significance? And the answer to that is, it is a life of wisdom. Wisdom is something that you and I desperately need. So, uh, let's seek it through the scriptures. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come now to the scriptures, we praise you that you are the God who both uh, authors life and creates it and also speaks into existence the scriptures to give to us both the revelation of who you are in nature and the revelation of what you require from us. And so, Father, I pray wherever we are this morning that you would speak to us, that you would be calling us to faith and trust and hope in you be giving us wisdom. And so we seek it now from the scriptures. Come now to bless the reading and hearing and proclamation of your word. May the seed of it find good soil in our hearts to bear fruit to the glory of your name. We pray in the name of Christ our King. Amen. And now hear God's word from Ecclesiastes starting in chapter 9 at verse 11 on through chapter 10 under the heading wisdom better than folly. This is the word of God. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little cry, with a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. 
but there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. But yet no one remembered that poor man. I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. Wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Keep your Bible open here in Ecclesiastes. And if you want an advance notice, we're going to end up in James chapter 3 as well in the New Testament. So if you want to put a pencil there or your finger there in James 3, we'll get there eventually. Uh, but for now, we stay in Ecclesiastes. What the preacher is on about here. Uh, which is always something that you want to know. What is that preacher on about, right? What in the world is he talking about? Venture to guess that uh, week to week, some of you, many of you perhaps leaving, wondering that, both about this preacher and this one. So let's try to be clear. In Ecclesiastes, specifically in this section, the preacher, and he calls himself that because he's gathering a congregation to address them about life, he is speaking here about destroying your life through foolishness. And in contrast, exalting the way of wisdom and calling people to walk in the way of wisdom. And then saying what that looks like. Uh, especially here in chapter 10, this looks like and reads more like the book of Proverbs. Doesn't it? All these short, pithy sayings that don't seem to have much kind of order or conjunction between them. Nevertheless, he does have one clear point. Now... When you think about a foolish action, ruining life, what comes to mind? Maybe it's a historical example. Maybe, sadly, it's something 
from your own life or someone that you love? Uh, what about in the world of politics? Foolish actions ruining careers so that one word goes to define an entire career. Watergate is all somebody needs to say to then think about a political pursuit ending in foolishness. The preacher's task in chapter 10 is to say, wisdom is better than folly. And you say, great, well, fine, that makes sense. But then he is saying, no, do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that it is to be preferred to pursue wisdom than foolishness? And do you do it all the time? Are you a person who consistently pursues wisdom over foolishness? Well, if you've joined with us earlier in the service and done what we've done so far, you know that we do not always pursue wisdom consistently. We sin, we struggle, we fail. You and I are people who need to pursue wisdom more consistently, who need to walk in that way more sincerely. Oftentimes, we think that, sure, wisdom is better than folly, but a little bit of foolishness is good every now and then, isn't it? Surely I can mix the two and find a good balance and come out okay. Isn't a little bit of foolishness harmless? And then you're in the preacher's main point because it only takes a little bit of foolishness to ruin what is built up by wisdom. It only takes a little bit. That's where he's going. So the preacher is going to call on us to use wisdom, practical insight, and skill to navigate our way through life. You and I need wisdom to make it through this life, and the preacher is focusing on three particular areas. I'll give them to you now, and then we'll walk through each one. He is focusing, this might make you wince a little bit, the first of the three areas is politics. The second is our actions, and the third one is our speech. Politics, actions, speech. So the first one, the first one, since a little bit of folly ruins the strength of wisdom, we should use wisdom in our politics. Now let me put you to ease really quickly here at the front end, because that word doesn't mean maybe what you're first associating it with. I'm using the word politics in the Greek sense. We get our word politics from the ancient Greek word polis, which means city-state, which involves the act of communal living together. So when I'm saying politics here, I mean the exercise of living together in community, not local, state, national, international politics. I'm talking about how you live with each other how you get on with each other or not. Politics in the sense of social interaction. So, we know the preacher is talking about community and living together because of this illustration that it begins with in chapter 9, verse 14. The preacher talks about this little city that has a few men in it. And here we're told that we can find an example of what wisdom looks like. He tells this story of a great king who comes against this little city, and the king brings all of his siege works. Pay attention to the contrast here in verses 14 and 15. There is a little city with a few men and a great king with a mighty army. And we think instinctively, this city doesn't stand a chance, right? The king is coming with all of his might. 
Except for the fact that in verse 15 we find that there's this poor, old, wise man. Twice, actually, in verse 15, we're told that he's poor, as if to emphasize, this guy's dirt poor. Doesn't hardly have any possessions. But what he lacks in material wealth, he makes up for in wisdom. And we're not told what he does to deliver the city from the great king. Hollywood could make a movie about it and fill in all the details. But the preacher doesn't say what happens, only that this old man, this old poor man delivers this little city from the great king by his wisdom. And he's telling this story to illustrate the point that he makes back in chapter 7, verse 19, that wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers of a city. That wisdom is a greater virtue than physical strength. Now when we're young... Oh, we don't see the need of that, right? Because we, by our strength, are fine, and we go out on our own, and we do what it takes. But the preacher would say, and I know some of you might agree, that the strength of our body fails us at some point, doesn't it? We need something else to be our strength. So we see here that for all the strength of the wisdom, for the great deliverance of this poor old man's wisdom, he provides the city... He does some mighty act, but then do you notice what happens to him? At the end of verse 15, we're told, nobody remembers him. Nobody remembers the poor old man. No matter how great the deliverance, it's like a forgotten story, a fairy tale, as it were, only a distant memory. Oh, there, wasn't there some guy one time who did something to save us? No, 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 your neighbor says, that's made up, forget it. It's not real. As if to say, and to make this point in verse 16... Wisdom is oftentimes despised by people. Wisdom, the virtue of wisdom, godly wisdom, is oftentimes looked down upon, forgotten, and discarded among this fallen world. Wisdom is better. But oftentimes we can't hear the quiet words of wisdom when fools are busy shouting. Wisdom gets drowned out by the loud voices of the fools. And we're being warned about this here because a little bit of foolishness can ruin the strength of wisdom. For all the strength of the old man's deliverance, the wisdom is easily forgotten. So the preacher says in verse 18, even though wisdom is better than weapons of war, one sinner destroys much good. Or we could say one foolish act destroys much wisdom. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying you can build and build and build your life on wisdom. But it only takes a little bit of foolishness for it to come crashing down or for wisdom to be forgotten or discarded. He puts it another way through a metaphor in chapter 10, verse 1, that a dead fly makes the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Or we would say in our kind of modern proverb, one rotten apple spoils the whole batch, right? That if you have a glass of clean drinking water and I come along with a pipette full of sewage water and I put a droplet of sewage water into your clean glass of water, you're not going to still drink it. Because a little bit, a little bit can ruin a whole lot. An ounce of folly outweighs a pound of wisdom. It doesn't take much foolishness to spoil what wisdom builds. That's because... 
Wisdom and foolishness are opposing forces. There is the way of wisdom and there is the way of foolishness. And the preacher is belaboring the point and calling us to walk in the way of wisdom. And we know that these things are opposing forces, which is why he says in verse 2, chapter 10, verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now again, he doesn't mean left and right in the conventional spectrum of politics like we often speak of. He's not speaking of left and right in that sense. In ancient Israel, the right hand was the place of honor. The right hand was the place of significance. It was the right side of morality and goodness, the place of honor. The left hand symbolizes the opposite. It was a place of disgrace and shame. This is not an insult to left-handed people, okay? Don't be offended. But it is to say, in the ancient culture, the place of the right hand was the place of honor. Uh, think of it in this terms. The ascended Christ is said to sit at the Father's right hand. And when Jesus says in Matthew 25 that there's going to be a division between the sheep and the goats, representing the believer and the unbeliever, the sheep, the believer, is sent to the right. The goat to the left. So here the preacher says, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. So what does that look like? What does that, what does that look like? What's he talking about in terms of how this applies to us? Well, you can tell a fool, chapter 10, verse 3, can't you? Even when the fool walks on the road, the preacher says he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool, as if announcing it along the way. See how much of a fool I am. Or you would see, uh, you, the way we would say it today is, you can see a fool coming a mile away. Because they're calling out as they come. They broadcast their foolishness. But if you want to be wise, the preacher says, verse 4 says, calmness will lay great offenses to rest. What do you do when somebody yells at you? What do you do when you get in an argument? Isn't it instinctive of our fallen nature that when we get into an argument, we raise the level of the argument with our response, right? Raise my voice when I get into an argument. And all the preacher says, the wise person, the wise person responds to anger not by escalating the volume of the argument, but by doing what Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what the preacher is putting together here is this, if you like, roadmap, this, this, this way forward for us to walk in wisdom, and because he has warned us that a little bit of foolishness ruins the strength of wisdom, we must be wise. We must listen to the quiet voice of wisdom rather than the constant shouting of the fool. We must remember that wisdom is the greater strength to be inclined to the way of wisdom rather than the way of the fool because wisdom de-escalates controversy. And with stool, the fool stirs up and is ruined by their foolishness. And the preacher is saying, are you a fool? Or are you wise? And how do you know? Well, he gives you more examples. And, and these come quickly. They, they fire off quickly like Proverbs. We'll just summarize them as we go. But he says, you will know you're walking in the way of wisdom by evaluating these next two things. Your daily life, your living, your actions, and also your speech. 
your daily life, and your daily speech. These are the two areas that the preacher says, let's evaluate to determine whether or not we are wise. So first, he calls us to the wisdom of daily living. He imagines a situation in verse 6, chapter 10, verse 6, where fools have been promoted to leadership, that those who lack sense become the rulers and things are turned upside down. Again, verse 5, there is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He says it's backwards. Then he gives these four illustrations quickly of what happens to our life if we don't use wisdom. The first one comes in verse 8. It's like digging a pit and then walking into it yourself. In verse 8, it's getting bit by a snake, reaching your hand into a crevice, not thinking that there might be something within there that's going to strike you. In verse 9, it's the illustration of someone splitting a log but not taking into factor that that split log could roll back on me once I split it. The person who's a fool splits the log and then gets rolled over by the log he splits. Or in verse 10, it's the person whose iron is blunt, who's attempting to cut with a dull knife. Why is a dull knife so dangerous? Uh, those of you with outdoor skills, especially perhaps previous Boy Scouts, know this very well. A dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife. Why? Because you have to work harder to use a blunt instrument so that the strength of your force, if it gets misdirected, is perhaps more injurious than a sharp, well-prepared tool. The fool takes a dull axe and hacks away. Or, verse 11, like a snake charmer who instead of charming the snake first, just grabs the viper. Altogether, these are all saying, the foolish person injures themselves. The foolish person brings their own harm upon themselves because it's the pit that they dug that they fall into, bringing serious injury. The emphasis is the fact that wisdom is a key element of avoiding pain that we inflict on ourselves. Isn't it true? that oftentimes our biggest problems are problems that we have the culpability of creating. Oh, we love to say, no, 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 it's not my fault, it's their fault, I'm just a victim, when by serious evaluation we realize that we have been responsible in some measure for this trouble that we're in. Maybe because we've been walking in foolish ways. So it's calling us to use wisdom in our daily lives. And then calling us to use wisdom in our daily speech. Our speech. Here you have the contrast of the use of words by the wise and the fool. In verse 12 it says, The words of a wise man bring him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Literally, the fool is consumed by their own lips, caught up in their own words. The things that they say come back to injure them, or in the words of Proverbs 18, verse 7, the mouths of fools are their ruin, and their lips are a snare to themselves. Preacher says in verse 13, the fool begins in foolishness and then keeps going and talks on and on and on, and what begins in foolishness then descends into evil madness, as if I shove my foot in my mouth and then ran the rest of my leg through it. After my foot, the fool. It reminds me of James. Remember how he talks about the tongue? 
He says the tongue is this little member within us. But a forest fire is ignited by just a spark. The great injury that our tongues can do. Now, if you want some common grace wisdom from life under the sun, take the words of Mark Twain about this, okay? What did he say? He said, it is better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool rather than open it and prove it. Right? Well, that's just common grace secular wisdom. There's more than we should say about that. That the mark of a fool is that their lips get them into trouble. The words just come flying out. Most of the things that you regret saying in your life, you said it too quickly, didn't you? Because it came out in the heat of passion, in the heat of anger, to retort, to wound, to inflict harm because you've been inflicted. We said it quickly, and we regret it. Practically speaking, it's this encouragement of be slow to speak. Proverbs 10:19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Or Proverbs 13, verse 3, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Are you wise with your mouth? So, the preacher here is on about wisdom. And we'll see as we conclude the book of Ecclesiastes upcoming that what the Bible means when it says wisdom is not just conventional intelligence of the age and the culture. We would say, oh, that person's smart. Uh, wisdom is not the same thing as intelligence. Wisdom is not the same thing as smarts. Wisdom is what Proverbs 9 verse 10 says it is, the fear of the Lord. That's what wisdom is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to be wise in your political dealings, your social interactions, your communal living with one another, if you want to be wise in what you do and in what you say, then you need to have and regard the fear of the Lord. And the fool doesn't. The fool is going through life without regard to God and his ways. He's saying, don't be a fool. So... That's somewhat of a, a, a negative, it's a negative exhortation. So instead of just leaving it on that, I want to ask, instead of just don't be a fool, what does, what does the rest of the Bible have to say about the virtue of wisdom? And it says a lot, but I just want to take us to one place. Come with me to James chapter 3 in the New Testament. It's on page 1012 if you've got a pew Bible. But James has a lot to say about this in a positive sense of the virtue of wisdom for the Christian believer. Because Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about what life looks like when you're a fool. And instead of just saying, don't do that, we want to say, no, what, is it, what does it look like in virtue? So James, chapter 3, specifically verses 13 to 18, it's the end of chapter 3. James has more to say to us about the virtue of wisdom and what it looks like and the effect that wisdom has upon our lives as we walk the way of wisdom, live in the fear of God, live under heaven, not just under the sun. It reveals itself, wisdom reveals itself in these, very quickly, eight ways. Look at what he says, James 3 at verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you, 
By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is saying, are you wise? Does your life look like this? Is your life pure, speaking of purity, cleanliness, holiness that characterizes the truly wise person, the wise Christian, that their life is also peaceable, peace-promoting, sowing unity on purpose among the family of God and among their lives rather than purposely pursuing drama and uh, discord. It's also gentle, it's meek, it's patient with other people. Wisdom is patient with other people. Isn't that something that you're glad Jesus is with you? Patient? One of the ways the New Testament describes Jesus is the meekness of his patience as he bears with other people. But you and I love to get fed up with other people, don't we? We're fed up that they're not on our page, in our lane, on our speed. Catch up! But Jesus is patient and gentle. James also says, open to reason, reasonable. Are you a reasonable person? Are you easy to get along with? <laughs> are you cantankerous? Or are you not cantankerous? Are you wise, gentle, open to reason? Are you full of good fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Not an equal strength, but is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Can you examine your life and see God at work transforming you to be more like Jesus in this way? Are you also, James says, impartial, unwavering, resolute, steady, a consistent person? We love consistency. We need to love it within ourselves as well as we show consistency. And finally, sincerity, integrity, without hypocrisy, rather than being a divided person. So you see, the way James describes wisdom is that he doesn't give it kind of this verbal imperative, do this and you'll be wise. He doesn't even define wisdom as if to say, wisdom is this. He says, this is what wisdom looks like. This is how wisdom demonstrates itself as it is lived out by the person who is walking in the fear of God. And that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about as the preacher is always saying, this is what I see. I see the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Because true wisdom, being a wise person, is not just information that you assent to mentally. True wisdom is acknowledging the Lord in all your ways, not just with what you know, but with what you show as you live your life. True Christian religion, true faith, true Christianity demonstrates itself, which is what Ecclesiastes is saying and also what James is saying. So, finally, what are you going to do? 
What can we do about this? The preacher is calling on us here. James is giving us these examples. What does this mean for Sunday afternoon? What does this mean for Monday morning when you go back to work, back to school, back to your home, whatever the case might be? What do you do when you realize that you're not as wise as you wish you were? Which is hopefully all of us saying, I want to grow in wisdom, right? This is what you have to do. All you have to do to to grow in this wisdom, all you have to do to grow in this view of life is say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of being where I am right now. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want my life to be characterized by foolishness. And one of the best things about the gospel, one of the best things about Christianity, one of the best things about Jesus is that he offers you new mercy every day to start again. God's word is saying to you, start again. Pick up wherever you are and quit walking down that road of foolishness that is so easily recognizable and instead walk in the way of eternal life, walk in the way of Jesus, walk in the way of wisdom. You can start wherever you are. The good news is that God meets us where we are and takes us where he wants us to go by pointing us towards Christ, who the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 3, that in Jesus Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom. You cannot be wise and not be trusting in Jesus. Because Christ is wisdom. And if you and I are to be wise, we must be walking with Him. Wisdom incarnate who come who came down from heaven to live his life that we might be ransomed by his death and resurrection. Foolish people that we are, Christ has given us his wisdom. Dear friends, Ecclesiastes says, don't be a fool. Be wise. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, we give you praise that in this world that you have made, that you are patient, kind, and forbearing, and oftentimes gentle. And so, Lord, I pray that as we have walked in foolishness in the past, that you by your Spirit would convict us and lead us in the way of everlasting life, chiefly the way of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, that we might be those who are not broadcasting foolishness with our loud speech, but who in the quietness of our hearts receive the tender words of Jesus, true wisdom, that we might live for him and for his glory. Well, Lord, may we Be such a people as we honor you, our great God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.